All right. Welcome to the review for the midterm. Uh, so the midterm is going to be on Thursday, the 14th. Uh, it is, uh, if I remember, it's 40 questions, and it will cover uh, units one, two, three, and four. One, two, and three were kind of foundation stuff. So types of government and uh, some of the underpinnings that we have, some of the documents like Magna Carta, stuff like that. And then unit four was the judicial branch. So that's what uh, we'll cover. Uh, if you're looking for the review, so if you want to, if you don't want your dig, you know, a paper copy, uh, the digital copies on eClass, it's on the front page. It's, it's pinned there so you can grab it if you want to. Uh, so here we're going to go over just the, we'll probably go over the front today and then we'll do the, uh, the back tomorrow. Maybe get a little bit into the, we'll probably finish up with all the compromises. That'll be a good stopping point, I think, for today. Uh, so let's get rolling here. Uh, first up is the Bill of Rights and free exercise. Okay, so first off, the Bill of Rights in general, uh, just what to know is that it is our liberties the government can't take away from us. All right, so the government cannot take away those liberties. So you know, if you think about some of the rights that are in there, stuff like, um, you know, no unlawful search and seizure. That means the government cannot come to your house and just randomly search you. The government cannot just, and when I say government, this will obviously apply to law enforcement, but it's a government thing. Law enforcement can't just stop you as you walk down the, the sidewalk and say, hey, um, we're going to search you. The uh, review will work on up here if you want a copy of the review. Um, <laughs> they can't take that stuff away from you. And that's what the Bill of Rights protects, okay? is those rights. So just think about all the rights that are in there, you know, the right to free speech, free religion, all that kind of stuff. The government can't take that away from you in our Bill of Rights. All right, I think the one specific thing on the um, the uh, midterm is the free exercise clause. Um, when, I, when, when I make a test like this, I always struggle with how much content from each of these things do we put in, onto the test. Um, so, I chose the free exercise clause. Just know that it's the one that allows you to worship how you want to. Okay, so free exercise allows you to worship uh, as you please. You can do the mainstream stuff. Uh, you can do something that's, you know, not necessarily mainstream. That might be kind of, um, you know, there's all kinds of off the wall religions that are out there. And I'm not trying to make fun of anything. I'm just saying, they're not that that you're normal and you're used to and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you can worship how you want to. Uh, anybody know what the one thing you can't do with free exercise? As long you can worship as you want to, as long as it's not. No, nah, as long as it's not illegal. So you can't do something that's illegal. Okay. So, like for example, I really want a red panda for a pet. If you haven't seen red pandas before, Google them. Uh, they look like awesome little creatures, okay? Uh, and so in researching red pandas, it's illegal to own one because they're an endangered species and you can't bring them into the country and that kind of stuff. I couldn't start a religion and say, we're going to worship red pandas. So I, since I have a, a religion now, I need a red panda in my religion. You know, I, I couldn't do that because it's illegal to have them. Uh, so I couldn't do that. You see it? Yeah. It looks pretty cool, don't it? Yeah, it looks like a fox. Yeah, See, look at some videos of them. They're awesome. I really want one. Uh, anyways, though, so you can't do illegal stuff. Couldn't start a religion that says, hey, we're going to do drugs. We're going to, you know, uh, shoot up heroin as part of our religious ceremony. 
and, and that'd be legal. That's, that's illegal. Okay. Uh, all right. Next up on our review is federalism. <clears throat> and federalism is pretty simple as far as the definition goes. It is just the sharing of power amongst several different governments. Okay. So federalism is just going to be where uh, we have multiple levels of government. In our case, we really concentrated on the federal level. So the group up in D.C. and then also the state of Georgia. All right. They share power over us. They can make rules. They can make laws. <clears throat> excuse me. That um, that affect us. And we have to listen to them. Maybe not listen to them. Might not be the right way to say it. But we have to follow their rules. All right. So we can get in trouble at the federal level. We can get in trouble at the state level. If we want to go further down, we can get in trouble here at the local level too. Gwinnett has stuff we have to do. Swanee, Duluth, Bakula, wherever you live, they have stuff you have to do. Uh, Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists. Uh, this was basically for the Constitution, which is the Federalists, and against the Constitution, which is the Anti-Federalists. Okay, so the Federalists, they were for the new Constitution. They were for the big government, strong central government. The Anti-Federalists were against the Constitution and against that new government. They wanted to keep basically um, the, the states in power. Okay, so the Anti-Federalists, their goal was to keep the, uh, the states having all the power like the Articles had. That was their goal. That was what they wanted to do. Uh, eventually, they gave in and they agreed to the, the Constitution with the addition of the Bill of Rights. Okay, so that's something key to remember is that the Bill of Rights was kind of a uh, compromise between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. Okay, uh, the formal amendment process. So there's two steps to this, and you got to, I think the main thing to know is the numbers uh, and just understand, hey, it's the national level and then state level. Okay, so the way it's proposed is at the national level. They can either do Congress or they can do a national convention. We've only ever done Congress, so that's what we really concentrate on. But at the national level, an amendment is proposed, okay? And then the number to know is two-thirds. Two-thirds of Congress has to say yes to this proposed amendment. So, hmm? yeah. <clears throat> so let's say that y'all are Congress and I stand up to propose an amendment. I propose that we make an amendment to the Constitution that forces uh, the, the ads on our phones and our games that we play, they got to make the X easier to find and hit. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I played a lot of games this over the fall break and I would hit the X and it wouldn't do anything. I'd hit the X and it wouldn't do anything. And then it'd take me to the app store and it pissed me off. Okay, so let's make an amendment to the Constitution that makes it to where ads on our phone games and things like that, they have to be easier to get out of. So there's our amendment. If two thirds of Congress says yes, all right, so two thirds of 535, that's 435 House members, 100 senators say yes, then it goes to the next step, all right? The next step is the states. The states have to sign off on it. So the states have to ratify it. And you have to have three fourths of the states, okay? So three fourths of the states. If you can't remember anything else, okay, just remember two-thirds at the national level to propose, three-fourths at the state level to ratify, to, to sign off on it, okay? So two-thirds at the national level and then three-fourths at the state level to sign off, 
right? So two-thirds proposed, three-fourths um, ratified, okay? All right, the enlightened thinkers. you got two people there. You've got Locke and you've got Montesquieu. Uh, Locke, the big thing for Locke is the natural rights. Uh, he is going to come up with this idea of every human being has these three natural rights. He wrote that they were life, liberty, and property. Every person has those. Now, we'll see later on in the Declaration of Independence that Jefferson will change that property to the pursuit of happiness. But the bottom line is he wrote and he felt that every person has these three natural rights and the government's job is to protect them. Okay, so the government's job is to protect those natural rights. Uh, that's why even today it's something we hold very dear. If you're ever arrested, hopefully you never are, okay, but the government is going to try and take away your natural rights, their, your right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You get all kinds of stuff. You're guaranteed a lawyer, jury trial, even through your incarceration, you're still guaranteed all these rights because we value the natural rights so much, okay? Uh, he also wrote about the social contract. And just very briefly, this is an agreement between me and you, okay, and the government. We agree to give up our ability to govern ourselves. And the government says, okay, if you do that, then we will protect you. We will help you. We will assist you. We will make laws that are fair and equal and balanced and all that kind of stuff. So we could govern ourselves. You know, I could go to my house and have my own little property there and just rule my family uh, or whatever, or my neighborhood or whatever it is. But we don't do that. Instead, the social contract, we turned over our right to govern ourselves to, to do that kind of stuff. And we turn it over to the government who then protects us and gives us, I don't want to say, get, they don't like give us stuff all the time, uh, but they do try and protect us and take care of us. Okay. Uh, then Montesquieu. Uh, Montesquieu is the separation of powers guy. Remember these enlightened thinkers, they wrote during a time when there was kings, monarchs, that sort of stuff. And one person did the writing of the laws, the enforcement of the laws, and the judging of the laws. So Montesquieu is going to write about how that's not right, and you should have some separation of powers. And so that's where our three branches of government comes from, is the separation of powers. We don't want to have one person, so we don't want the president to write laws, enforce laws, and judge laws. Instead, we break it up. We have the legislative branch that is going to write the laws, and that's completely separate from the president, who's going to enforce the laws, which is completely separate from the judicial branch, which is going to enforce, I mean, uh, interpret the laws. Okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, clauses of the Constitution. Uh, you've got three on here. We did a couple more than this in class, but these are the three that are on the test. Yeah, commerce, elastic, and supremacy. Commerce clause is pretty simple. It just says that Congress and the federal government are the ones that control commerce, okay? So, and when we say commerce, that deals with money. So they're the only ones that can print money, coin money, trade. They are going to regulate trade from state to state and things like that. It says it in the Constitution. Uh, we could go to the specific article, which is Article 1, and then section, whatever it is, clause, whatever it is. And it says Congress is the only ones that can do this, this, and this with the commerce. Okay. Uh, the necessary and proper clause is also an article one. And it's sometimes called the elastic clause. But the necessary and proper clause, it just allows Congress to stretch their powers. Okay. So it allows Congress to stretch their powers. As long as the Constitution doesn't specifically say Congress can't do something, 
then the necessary and proper clause is probably going to let them. Okay. My favorite example of this is because I'm a U.S. history person. Uh, I grew up thinking that's all I would do was U.S. history. Um, but the Bank of the United States, if you remember back to probably last September, um, not our September, but September of 2020, you probably got this in U.S. history. Andrew Jackson hated the Bank of the United States. His argument was Congress can't do it. But the argument they used was necessary and proper clause. Commerce deals with money. And since that deals with money, that means we can create a bank in the United States. It doesn't say in the Constitution they can, but they use the necessary and proper clause to create a bank in the United States. And then finally is the supremacy clause. The supremacy clause is in Article 6 of the Constitution. And it's pretty simple. It just says the number one thing that we're going to look at is the Constitution. Okay. It is the supreme law of the land. Uh, everything has to be constitutional. Um, we, we, we can't go against the Constitution. And so that's why laws are judged to be constitutional or unconstitutional. Okay. Uh, the number two thing is the federal laws. Uh, so government makes laws. The federal laws are supposed to take precedence over uh, state laws. Okay. But we know now that sometimes that doesn't always work that way. And, you know, we're looking at Colorado, Washington, uh, a couple of other states have basically said marijuana is no longer illegal. And they have a booming business in, of marijuana uh, in some of those states because they don't listen to the federal laws. But they're supposed to with the supremacy clause. Okay. All right. The foundation documents I'm going to do really quick because I don't think we'd spend that much time on them. If I remember correctly on the test, and I'll look for sure and confirm when we review tomorrow, it's just going to list these things and you just got to understand, hey, these were kind of uh, the things the founding fathers used for the Constitution. All right. But the Magna Carta, this was signed back in 1215 uh, and it took power away from the king. OK, uh, the Petition of Rights did the same thing. Uh, it's going to take power away from the king. Uh, this is the one that basically set up a constitutional monarchy where, hey, you're still the monarch, you're still the king, but we're going to rule based on what this document over here says. So Magna Carta reduced the power of the king. He still had the ability to rule and do kind of as he saw fit, but um, the people, the citizenry uh, of England started to get some power and the ability to question and things like that. Uh, the petition of rights is going to really kind of start to really take power away from the king, and it's going to be more reliant on this document and then the English Bill of Rights is basically the death knell for the, the monarchy. Um, and the king is there. The king is going to be a figurehead. But we have parliament that's going to rule. We have this constitution that's going to rule. Um, and, you know, yes, we'll still respect the, the title of the king, but you're not going to make too many decisions. Okay. But once again, the bottom line for those three documents is not, you're not going to have to answer questions about what they did is to understand, hey, this is the blueprint that was used for the, the Constitution. Okay, everybody hear that? Understand that? Yeah. Hint, hint, that's, the, that's on the test. All right, the Federalist Papers. Uh, this was a series of 85 essays written in support of the Constitution. So we talked about the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists earlier. Um, the Federalist Papers were going to be written by the Federalists. Okay, so they were not written by the Anti-Federalists. Um, the Federalist Papers were written by that group. There's three authors, uh, James Madison, <clears throat> Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, 
and John Jay, uh, and they wrote all these essays supporting the Constitution. The two most famous ones, you don't have to know it for the test, but just so you know, is Fed 10, which is all about how there's going to be groups and how we'll, we'll control these groups, and then Fed 51, which was about the importance of the separation of powers. Okay. Uh, all right. The next thing there is the types of government. Now, this goes all the way back to Unit 1 for us. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking, hey, I need more information about this stuff, take a look at our Unit 1 content, which is still on E-Class, okay? Uh, the oligarchy, this is where the government is going to be ruled by a small group of people, okay? So an oligarchy is where a group of people will <clears throat> run things. And I think you had a test question that talked about Sparta, in, in Greece and things like that. Uh, and it talked about how a small group of people ran things and it said, what type of government's that? It's an oligarchy, okay? So there's about eight of us in this room. If we were to run the school, all right, we would be an oligarchy. Uh, a democracy, uh, a democracy, <coughs> excuse me, a democracy, uh, that is the way we choose our, our officials, okay? So people will say, hey, we live in a democracy. And that's sort of true. Uh, we really live in a republic, okay, which means we elect our officials to make decisions for us, okay, and that's what a representative democracy is, is the fact that uh, no one is asking me about what I want, what the decisions I think should be made are. It's, I have elected someone, I voted for someone, uh, and now they make decisions for us, okay. So we live in a republic which is where we elect officials to make decisions for us. We elect them through a democracy where we're going to be able to pick our people. Okay. So a representative democracy is just us picking leadership to make decisions for us. Um, that's you know, different from a participatory democracy or direct democracy where every single one of us would be taking part in the government process. It's just almost impossible. There's 350 million people in America. There's no way we could do a direct democracy, a participatory democracy. Uh, a confederation, think back to the Articles of Confederation. Uh, this is where you have small units. So think of the states, okay? Uh, and they run things and they tell the central government what to do. So a confederation is where a small group of states are going to tell the central government what to do. So in the Articles of Confederation, remember the states had all the power. They could dictate to the, the central government, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do. If they didn't want to do something that the central government said, then they didn't have to do it. And then an autocracy, this is government by one person. Okay, so one person runs everything. Uh, think of a dictatorship or something like that, uh, where an authoritarian government where one person is running things and it's... Um, very little citizen participation. They don't care very often about what the citizens won't need, think it's what I think is best. Okay. All right. The Constitutional Convention. So you've you got to know the different compromises. Uh, the ones on our paper are the great and the three-fifths. Okay. So let's, that's what we'll do. And then uh, we'll, we'll stop there for the, the for this day. Uh, so remember, the Virginia plan was what our whole government was based off of, 
Okay. So James Madison rolled up to the Constitutional Convention. And instead of saying, hey, let's change the articles this way, he said, let's completely get rid of the articles. I have this plan, the Virginia plan. All right. And it's going to create the three branches of government and do all the things that we know today. All right. As far as representation goes, the Virginia plan called for representation based on population. So the bigger states were in love with this plan because if the more people I have, the more representation I get, the more representation get I get, the more votes I get, and the more power I have. Okay. So the big states liked the Virginia plan. Who didn't like the Virginia plan? The little states, right. And so they came up with their own plan called the New Jersey plan. And the New Jersey plan is going to say, hey, let's make it equal. Every state gets the same. So there's the two plans that are compete against each other in this representation thing. It's okay, because we have in the Virginia plan, we have a Congress and the Virginia plan said, hey, representation is based on population. The small states objected. They created the New Jersey plan. So we snap our fingers and boom, the great compromise and it's done. But just know that it took a while. It took some arguments. It took some fighting. And uh, eventually they came up with the great compromise. And the great compromise just combined those two plans and it created a two house legislature. Okay. Why is that such a big deal? Because it wasn't an option. Like it hadn't been done. So this is why we snap our fingers and the Great Compromise happens and we got a two-house legislature and it's, hey, it's, just, it's what we know. But it took them a while to, to come to that conclusion that we could do this and make it work. All right. So the Great Compromise creates a two-house legislature. We've got the House, which is based on the Virginia plan with population being the determining factor of how many people you get. Today, the largest state is California. They have 53 representatives. Georgia, we have 14 Okay, so you know California has much more voting power than we do, uh, and then we have the Senate, which is equal. Every state has two. There will always be a hundred senators unless they add some states. All right. So is everybody okay with a great compromise? You might sometimes see it as commerce, but uh, not commerce. Excuse me, Connecticut compromise. But I think on the test I go with great because that's what I grew up with. <clears throat> All right, and then we've got the three fifths compromise. It dealed deal. It dealt with representation as well. Alrighty, so just like the, the Great Compromise uh, dealt with representation and uh, the two houses, so does the three-fifths. So once they settled on two houses, they switched gears to the population issue for representation, but it was also going to determine how much you paid in taxes. Okay. When this happened, the South was like, well, hey, we have this population, and I'm talking about the slave population. We have this group of people that's going to now count for our population because they wanted to have more people, right? But when it comes to taxes, the South was like, well, they don't count for taxes. So the South wanted to, to have it both ways. They wanted to bring in a group of people that they had never counted as population and they wanted it to, for, for their benefit okay the north was the opposite the north wanted the slave population to count for um tax purposes but not for representation purposes 
So you had both sides kind of wanting it both ways. And once again, we snap our fingers and hey, here's the three-fifths compromise. They just counted three-fifths of the slave population. You know, it took some arguments, some fighting, uh, but that's what the three-fifths compromise is going to do. It is going to, to settle this problem and issue, and it's going to uh, count a portion of the, of the slave population for both representation and taxes. Okay. Um, and so those are the two compromises that are on the table. The other one you, you did was the commerce, uh, and that, that dealt with the importation of slaves, but it's not on the, uh, the midterm, so we don't have to worry about it. Okay. All right. So we have about half of the review done, uh, and that's 25 minutes. So that's a good time there. So we will stop here and uh, we'll finish up the, the, the review tomorrow. Okay.